Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and we're going down the road from Toronto to talk to Tony Schwartz of Better Street, and we're going to find out about that in a little bit. First of all, Tony, tell me where you went to school. Hi, Peter. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. So I grew up in Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, went to elementary and high school there at KCI, and then I went to the University of Guelph for their uh, business and public policy program. Okay. My uh, stepdaughter went to MUU. Mm-hmm. Love a, it, love it. Became a veterinarian up in Bracebridge. Amazing. Yeah, the, the agriculture program there is just exceptional. It's like it's like a whole half of the campus that's just hived off. Okay, so having said that, tell us about your work experience. Yeah, so after graduating from uh, University of Guelph, I was slowly getting more and more interested in homelessness, but um, I, I had kind of a, a eureka moment one day in a Home Depot lumber aisle. I have a family member who is uh, who experiences unsheltered homelessness fairly regularly, and I was in the lumber aisle of a Home Depot, and he was sleeping outside at the time. And I saw that you know the plywood was right there, and the framing lumber was right there, and like the insulation was in aisle fourteen, and the windows were in aisle eleven. And I thought, you know we have all the resources we need to solve this problem and there is underutilized land and there are people who want to help why is anyone sleeping in a bank vestibule in downtown like that's just wrong that's a resource problem or that's a resource allocation problem and that didn't lead me to working in homelessness it actually led me to construction where i worked for a residential home builder for a little while kind of with the idea that if you care about homelessness, you should know how to build a house. Um, And then from that, I got involved with uh, a nonprofit doing a little bit of fundraising and then uh, starting to do shelter work out of the pandemic. And I loved the shelter work. Uh, I ended up building tiny homes with a local parish, St. Mary's in downtown Kitchener and then became the site superintendent at a better tent city. And then now I work with better street to help launch these projects across Canada. Across Canada. So yeah. yeah. But currently you're in Kitchener Waterloo or have you gone beyond so that? I'm, so I'm currently, I'm, I live in Toronto, um, but I've worked on projects in Kitchener, Waterloo, Toronto, Hamilton, Belleville, Peterborough, Uh, We're looking at something in New Brunswick. There's stuff out in Winnipeg uh, and then lots of interest from folks in Alberta and BC. So, um, and even some people down in Virginia. So it's becoming really a national, uh, a national project really quickly. So what you're doing is almost social franchising. That's a term that I like. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, And I'm, I'm glad you used that word. I always think about, you know, that it should be as easy to help people achieve housing as it is to open a Dairy Queen, right? There's nothing more complicated necessarily about housing than, than a Dairy Queen. Um, you need your zoning, you need your property built, you need your machines, you need your kitchen, you need your staff. 
Um, but we've made it really easy in the world of franchising to move quickly um, and to create products that are consistently high standard. We have not yet done that with housing. Okay. And call it a social franchising when you do. Yeah. Okay. So you also, before you started what you're doing now, you mm -hmm. work with Jeff on a, yeah. a, another uh, organization. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. So um, Jeff Wilmer is the chair of A Better Tent City. Um, and through that work, I mean, he made him him and the A Better Tent City team of Nadine, Father Toby, Laura Hamilton, Marion Thompson Howell, the late Ron Doyle, um, they made all of this possible. And what A Better Tent City did uh, with a you know, with, with Jeff kind of at the helm for a lot of it, was they built one of these projects when everyone said it was impossible. They did it in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, Ron Doyle owned a event space that he allowed to be used for first a tent city indoors, then a tiny homes community. And Jeff found a way to make it legal and make it you know, workable from the city perspective, being a former planner and CAO with the city of Kitchener. Laura found a way to feed everyone. Father Toby brought the resources of the faith community and the Catholic church. Uh, Marion brought the organizational and like, you know, incorporation and minute taking and strategic lens there. And the way that I look at a better tent city with this project is they really kicked the door down on tiny homes communities. Um, and their continued existence is proof that it works and it's proof that it can be possible. And, you know, no conversation about a better tent city is complete without Nadine Green, who is kind of the live-in site coordinator and mom of everyone there. And now a lot of what I'm doing is kind of working in that gap that they created. So helping other projects move through and find their right balance, um, but all sort of in the in the footsteps of a better tent city. I think there's a lady in Kitchener who does small homes on properties. So there's a house, and then you have another structure yeah. on the property. And I interviewed her, but her name escapes me right now. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, uh, that was her, and there's a term for that, I think. Yeah, um, I've, I've heard them called often accessory dwelling units, like ADUs. Yes, uh, that's or exactly what or she suites. Yeah, yeah, ADUs are great, really, really good. Um, and from my perspective, at least, like, I work in the world of unsheltered homelessness or, you know, harm reduction, fentanyl, methamphetamine, like, that kind of space. <laughs> But what happens with these communities is, you know, we don't have a housing pipeline. Like in all the models and all the diagrams, it's like a pipeline. You go into a shelter and then you get in support of a housing unit and then whatever. It is welded shut at the end because we're not building places for people to go to. So we're adding capacity in the, in the shelter system and in the homelessness system that's saving lives and it's doing a lot of real tangible benefit. But without the development of the supportive housing units and without the increasing density and the accessory dwelling units and all these other housing solutions down the line, people are going to get stuck. So for me, it's a both and, right? We have to both expand the width 
to allow more people to be safe and sheltered on a given night. And we have to expand the flow through so that people can reach the housing option that's right for them. And those backyard units are a great example of that. So, t Tony, talk about your first project that you did. Yeah, so the first project <laughs> that I did after after being the uh, the site super at a better tent city was uh, working with the Hamilton Alliance for Tiny Shelters, or HATS. Um, and that is one of the most exceptional teams I've ever had the privilege of working with. They're trying to create a community of 25, give or take, tiny homes in Hamilton to address the massive crisis that's going on in downtown Hamilton. And um, at, at first, I was brought on, I think, more as a technical advisor. Um, what kind of doors should we use? What kind of locks should we use? And how should we build the build the homes? Because that's kind of where my background was. But very quickly, it became clear that the easiest part of building a tiny homes community is building a tiny homes community. The hard part is having anybody let you build a tiny homes community. It's the zoning. It's the neighborhood consultations. It's the fundraising. It's the operations manual. It's the staffing. So at that point, I kind of had one of two options. One was okay, well, this isn't going to work. Uh, maybe I'll get a job with the city of Toronto or with you know a large established agency. Or the other one is I better learn a lot about incorporation real fast and insurance and community consultation and all that stuff. So I chose option B, um, maybe a bit of a glutton for punishment. And I've been working with HATS now for about a year and a half, give or take, uh, as we kind of get closer to that goal of, uh, of putting a community on the ground. Perfect. So having said that, have you developed an operations manual yet? Or is that on the drawing board? Yeah, so I mean, um, this is an audio podcast, probably won't show very well, but it's literally on the drawing board. Um, that's kind of the, the skeleton of it. There's a bunch of post-it notes stuck to my wall. Um, but the reality is, um, and the reason why I don't kind of do it as a true franchise model is every community has a unique set of challenges and a unique set of skills that will allow them to put a new project like this on the ground. So in Kitchener-Waterloo, there's a very strong Mennonite tradition and there's a very strong innovation tradition. So the Mennonite tradition says that we're called to be barn raisers and we're called to be the people who take care of our neighbors. And if a barn catches fire, the community comes together and the next barn is rebuilt in a day, right? That's the Mennonite tradition. And the innovation tradition is, you know, we can move fast and break things. We can try new things because we're a community that prizes growth and technology and innovation. So a better tent city at its core um, comes from what if we applied the concept of barn raising to with the, with the lens of innovation? Like what if we took that lens and applied it to that value? Um, and that's what makes it work there. Hamilton has a very strong union tradition, right? And so there, it's more of a Hamilton takes care of its own, right? If a, if a worker falls off a ladder and develops an uh, Oxycontin addiction due to the pain, as happened far too regularly with the kind of reckless use of opiates, do we as, you know, a union town turn our back on that person? Or do we take care of our own? Right. So it's important to me that the unique nature and values of each community are reflected in how their site operates, 
Um, and so that's where I kind of, I don't create a strict operating manual. What I do have is sort of a pathway that groups go to from having the idea and being really excited to having a functional nonprofit that is funded and has grant access and staff and executive director. And how do we get there together? And that's what I have. Okay. So having said that, you have a team. I am building the, the beginnings of a team. Yeah. Um, so I have a wonderful, wonderful um, social media support person uh, named Samantha Deal, who both helps run all of our social media platforms and basically tells this story, but also helps our clients do that. That's often something they struggle with. A lot of these groups um, tend to be a little bit older, uh, often retired, and the social media world to them is just confusing. And so, but it's really important, right? It's the place where our public discussions have moved as a society. So Sam is there to help both me and then help my clients navigate that world. Um, Adam Morgan uh, helps on grant writing and those kinds of pieces. So he helps sort of bring money in the door for clients. And then Robert Rayner is a architect, uh, architecture background and helps make everything beautiful and make everything look like it was done by a, you know, several hundred employee consultancy out of New York City when it's really all of us kind of with our laptops. Okay. Oh, that's exciting. Because team is, is very important. You have a business plan. Yes, I do. Um, not a formal business plan, but a kind of strategic mindset that I'm, that I'm bringing it towards. So the, the goal over the next couple of over the next year is to basically diversify so while tiny homes are where my heart is and it's where my experience is and it's it's always going to be a core part of the business i want to acknowledge that having people living in an eight foot by 12 foot sleeping cabin and like the growth of that as a housing option is less than ideal um so what i'd love to do is walk with our clients who I see as being the people in tents and on the street, that's kind of my, my true client, um, walk with them through their housing journey. So doing work first to get them sheltered, which is the tiny homes, and then to make sure they have equitable healthcare access, working with healthcare teams and hospitals. Then, you know, making sure that if housing developments, like proper housing um, is being built, it meets their needs. So that would be working with developers and supportive housing agencies and really helping work through that whole infrastructure of how we bring people home um, and doing that by supporting the organizations that do frontline work rather than doing the frontline work ourselves. So having said that, three years from today, what's Tony going to be doing? So I always say, I don't think it'll be in three years, but... Um, my, my kind of goal is always margaritas on the beach. Um, and <laughs> I'll, I'll explain why. Um, working in these kinds of social problems, I firmly believe you should be trying to put yourself out of business. You know, like if I have a full career in unsheltered homelessness, I've failed because the job that I do shouldn't exist. We live in one of the richest countries in the world. We live in one of the largest countries in the world. So I have a hard time believing that there isn't money or space to house everyone. Um, so 
you know, within three years, I don't think I would be able to really put uh, put this company out of business. But I'm hopeful within ten that there's just isn't a need for it anymore. Um, so if I can maybe turn your question, where I'd like to be in ten years is installing a tiny home in what I think of as the museum of homelessness. And I want to see it next to the museum of all of many of the other social problems we have. You know, we have the human rights museum in Washington. There's, you know, museums dedicated to slavery and these other really, you know, tragic, um, terrible uh, chapters in our past. I would like to see that we look back at the time when we let people live in tents and we let people sleep in bank vestibules as a black mark and we have a museum so that our kids don't forget about it yeah well, that's pretty exciting so having said that what do you need today today what we need um well i'll separate what i need from what my clients need um what better street needs is sort of internally more groups and more individuals who are brave and organized um bravery only takes you so far without organization and discipline and organization and discipline without bravery just you have no social cause behind it uh, but the best groups that i work with are brave and they're organized and those are the ones who are the champions of this change all we do as an organization is support them and make sure that they have the tools and the resources they need to to succeed um, and that's the biggest thing that that we look for is people who are brave and who are organized and then having the right staffing and the right systems in place to help them um, what our groups often need is the understanding that this is a problem that we created socially and it's a problem that we will solve um, this is a problem that cannot be kicked into our neighbor's yard when an agency comes knocking and says we're going to open a place to help those who have not been helped for a long time and it might be close by to you what we need is people to call their counselor and say finally someone's doing something how do we get involved or you know i'm concerned about this and this and this i'm still willing to welcome it in our community if those things are addressed there are legitimate concerns um but too often we see these individuals as people who, if we just push hard enough, will go away. They'll go back to the downtown or they'll go you know, to another city or they're not even from here anyways. These kind of narratives of this isn't my problem. It, it's all of our problems and it's going to take a little bit of generosity and a lot of courage for us to fix that. That's terrific. Tony, you, uh, you got the right passion, the right interests. When is the book coming out? <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Uh, the first book actually has already come out. So I've got a book called A Home of Their Own, and it is sort of a technical guide for how any group can start a tiny homes community. There is a second book in development called Why I, Live in a Why I Live in the Park and What You Can Do About It, which is more of a architecture and anthropological guide to the world of encampments. Um, how are they built? What are the foundations? I mean, these are real structures. 
when you see a tent, um, there is a floor system. There's often pallets to keep it insulated from the ground. Old election signs, like, you know, those lawn signs that you see in elections. If you think about it, they're ribbed plastic. So pests and anything has a problem getting through. They have insulation value and they're large sheets. So people will use those to line the base of a tent. There's insulated tarps. If we look at it in home construction, that's our value. Those are windows. That's a foundation. That's a vapor barrier. Um, and so we really dive into that and what those buildings are really like. And um, that book is it's slow coming, but it should be out in the next couple of years. Okay, the first book, is that posted on your website? It is, and um, thanks to the generous support of Paul Motes and the Motes family, it's actually available for free for anyone who wants it. Um, uh, a, large, a donor stepped up and basically said, I'll cover the cost of anyone who would want to buy this if you, if you would write it. Well, I so want it. For I want it. So Perfect. Right on. That's a given. Okay, well, thank you for your time this morning. Um, right on. Thank you so much for having me.